all of you. When Ginny and I got married, I had a pretty clear idea of what kind of wife she ought to be. (laughs) You're laughing. (laughs) You know, I'd read the passages on submissive wives and all of that, and so, you know, I, I had my concept, my picture of how she ought to function, and she was pretty compliant for a while, and so that worked out fairly well. But then God began to work in my heart, in her heart, and free her up to be who she really was. And I realized that those early years of marriage, I really missed out on so much of her heart. I missed out on so much of who she really was. The things that I've since grown to love so much. I miss out a lot of the mystery of her soul. And as I tell in my premarital counseling, I tell couples, I say, you know, a woman is not a problem to be fixed or someone to be defined, but she's a mystery to be explored and to be enjoyed for who she is. Well, as I've looked at my own life, I realized that I was treating God that same way. You know, I had my ideas of how I wanted God to be or how I thought He was because of theology or how I thought He should be. And so, I've tried to define who God is and put Him in a box and explain what He does and explain who He is. And, you know, we do that. I think we all do that to some degree. I think it's natural for us as humans because it gives us a sense of control a sense of safety, a sense of definition for our lives so we're not caught off guard. We sometimes kind of see God as a computer software program that if I just work it right and push the right buttons, then out comes the outcome for my life that I want. But God doesn't present himself as a program, does he? In fact, God presents himself as a person who is a mystery, who is someone to be loved, to be enjoyed, to be explored, not someone to be controlled or defined away. And have you noticed that when you try to put him in a box, he just bursts his way out of that. He breaks his way through. He doesn't fit in those boxes that we try to put him in. And so our, our view of God gets expanded by how he acts in life because it's so different than we try to define a way. I was struck by some of us on staff this week went to the movie The Da Vinci Code. I'm sure many of you have read the book and we're seeing the movie. It's a real phenomenon right now. And you know, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. I will say that what the book talks about in terms of history and the Council of Nicaea and Constantine and and the history of the scriptures and the church and what they've tried to cover up, all of that is historical nonsense. (laughs) It's just not true. It's made up. It's a story. And if you want to know more about that, we have plenty, several books in our library that can define for you more the biblical truth and, and all. But what I want to focus on right now is that there's an interesting character in it. It's played by Tom Hanks. Robert Langdon is his name. He's a professor central character in the, in the movie. 
who has God in a box. You know, he's got him all defined away theologically and, and he's defined Jesus as not really God. He was just a man who was an example and all of that. And he's, he's got this definition all set out of his view of who God is and who Jesus is. And yet, there's a point in the movie in which he says, but when I was a boy, I fell into a well. And I had to tread water and no one could hear me and I thought I was going to die and I prayed to Jesus to save my life. And he did. You see, that doesn't fit into his box, does it? (laughs) God's always bigger than how we try to define him. God is a huge God. He's mysterious. And the passage we want to look at today shows the Father heart of God. Shows that he's bigger than we've ever imagined. And so on Father's Day, as we consider who God is, is our Heavenly Father. Let me encourage you that the most important thing any of us can do as fathers, or if we're not fathers, (laughs) is to know and love our Heavenly Father, to trust Him, to follow Him, no matter who who your earthly father was or is. Because your earthly father is imperfect, but your heavenly father is perfect. But he's a mystery. So let's look at that mystery of who he is, as we see in this passage in Exodus chapter 4. God is all about creating a leader, Moses at this point, who can lead his people to redemption, to lead them out of the nation of, of slavery in Egypt. So God is creating in Moses the kind of man who can follow him and trust him and walk with him. We ended last week with looking at God trying to get Moses to be willing to follow him and encouraging him. And at the end, the last words we got from Moses were, God, send somebody else. (laughs) I don't want to go. I'm afraid. I don't want to step out. And God said, well... I'll send someone else, I'll send Aaron with you, and I want you to go. And that's how it ended. We don't really know from last week how Moses would respond, but this week we see that he begins to step out. Notice verse 18 of chapter 4 of Exodus. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. God is not someone who can be defined away. In fact, he's a person, and in fact, a very passionate person. And first of all, in this passage, we see that he's passionate to encourage us. He's passionate to encourage us. Moses begins to step out. He says, okay, I'll go back to Jethro and see how he'll respond. I'll say, can I go visit my people? He doesn't explain that he's seen a burning bush. He doesn't explain what God wants him to do. You know, he's probably afraid that Jethro will think he's nuts. So he just says, can I go see if my people are still alive? A great question. Remember when he left 40 years ago, Pharaoh was out to kill all the Israelites. 
He was out to commit genocide on the entire nation. It's been 40 years. When Moses says, I've got to see if they're still alive, that's a good question. So God encourages him as he steps out to talk to Jethro. He comes back to him and says, go back to Egypt. He commands him again. And he says, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. Moses, I know you're scared to go back. I know you're a wanted man. You're an outlaw. But guess what? Those men who wanted you are dead. It's okay. You can go back. Now, God doesn't give him the whole picture here. He doesn't say, oh, by the way, they've been replaced by people that are just as bad. (laughs) But he just gives them enough encouragement to keep stepping out. Have you noticed how God loves to do that? If we just step out to follow him, if we'll just trust him enough to take that first step to go to Guatemala or to go to the Cronation or to reach that neighbor or whatever it is that God's nudging you to do to follow him, to step out in faith, even though it's scary... If you step out, God loves to encourage you. He's passionate to encourage us on the way. He loves to do that. He's like a parent who encourages us as we just take that first step. You know, when your child just barely is learning to walk and takes that first step and and daddy's going, come on, you can do it, take another one, you can do it. And they fall and he picks them up and they take another step. And See, God loves to do that. In fact, he describes himself that way. That very picture in Hosea chapter 11 where he says this, When Israel was a child, I loved him and called out of Egypt I called my son. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, (laughs) taking them by the arms. But they didn't realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. See, that's what he loves to do. He loves to encourage us and hold our hands as we learn to walk. And he walks with us. He's passionate to encourage us if we'll only begin to take that first step. And an important part of that, of hearing God's encouragement, is is being able to be in contact with him, have that personal relationship with him. You may go, well, God doesn't encourage me like like he did Moses here. Well, maybe you're not listening. See, Moses before had a burning bush. It was pretty clear that God was talking to him. (laughs) But here you don't see a burning bush. He's walking through life, and yes, he's hearing from God, but we're not told how he's hearing from God. And throughout the Scripture, we see people hearing from God in the normal course of life as they're walking with him, as they're fostering a life of communication with God, of prayer with him, and let this be an encouragement to all of us, to me too, that we've got to be listening to him. We've got to have that sense of, God, I'm looking for your encouragement. I'm looking for you to speak to me. By reading his word regularly, God, speak to me. By having times of solitude and praying, not just speaking to him, but listening for him to speak to you, his words of encouragement. Through other people, He wants to speak through other books you might read in times of community together as we gather in His name and you hear the word taught or you sing songs. God wants to encourage. He's passionate to encourage you, folks, as you step out to trust and follow Him. The question for us is, are we listening? Are we listening? 
So he's passionate not only to encourage, but he's passionate that we see him as a parent. He has a parent's heart. Notice verse 21 through 23. Yahweh, the Lord, said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, This is what Yahweh, the Lord, says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refused, Pharaoh, to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. As God is preparing Moses to go back to Egypt and face Pharaoh, he encourages him to see that his heavenly father is a parent, a father. A father who's relentless and fierce in his love for his people, the people of God. He's relentless and fierce in his love for you and for me. He's so relentless, in fact, that what we see here is he's willing to take the life of every firstborn in Egypt to set his own people free. Now that's a mystery, isn't it? (laughs) Wait a minute, God, what... What are you trying to say here? What he's trying to say, I think, is he's like a parent who anguishes over a suffering child and is willing to do anything to help them, even willing to take the place of their child. And I've had several parents tell me that. Oh, I would love to be able to take the place of my child if I could. That's the kind of love the father has for us. And that's why he wants us to see him as a father because that kind of relentless love is the greatest picture for us, a a parent's love, either a mother or a father. It's the greatest picture of a fierce, relentless love that we see on earth. And he says, that's my kind of love for you. I'm willing to do anything, whatever it takes, to reach you, to love you, to draw you out, to set you free, to free you from sin. Again, it's a mystery, but it's a passionate love. Some of you know Danny and Diana Ayers, part of our body for years. They've been gone now for a year because their daughter, Dana, contracted a terrible blood disease that needs constant care and constant watching. They moved down to UCLA in that area. They've been living in a Ronald McDonald house for the last year. Why? Because of their relentless love for their daughter. That's the kind of love the Father has for us. Now let me say, it says here that God says to Moses, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And you say, well, that's a mystery too, God. You hardened his heart so, and took the life of his firstborn? Again, we can't explain everything about what God is doing here. I do know later, and we'll come to this again as we continue in Exodus, it often says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And then it'll say again that God hardened his heart. Part of the mystery of this is God works with the human heart and God sees that Pharaoh's heart is already hard and he decides to use that to further his kingdom, to do miracles to set his people free. Because God uses who we are, even in our struggle and our fallenness in this fallen world, to accomplish his miraculous redemption of his people. So God is passionate. He's passionate as a parent. He's passionate that we would know him. And he's passionate for his own holiness. 
Notice this next passage. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord, Yahweh, met Moses and sought to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time she said bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. If you know what this passage is talking about, come on up. (laughs) This is weird, isn't it? It really is one of the strangest passages in Scripture. It is. Here you see God reaching out to Moses and encouraging him. Okay, come on, take a step. You're doing great. You're doing well. Come on. And he encourages him that, hey, I'm going to take care of Pharaoh. I'm, I'm like a parent who's, who's passionate about my kids and I want to save my people. And I'm going to do miracles for you. I'm going to do great things. And Moses is on the way, obeying God, stepping out. And on the way, God tries to kill him. How do you explain that? How do you explain that? You know, we can make attempts, but... I think part of what God is trying to help us to understand is that he doesn't fit in our boxes, does he? He's a bigger God than we've imagined. Moses is stepping out to follow, and and what I picture in this is he's resting for the night, maybe in a tent, maybe in an inn of some sort, and it's like Lord of the Rings where the three hobbits are stepping out on their quest Frodo and Mary and Pippin, and the Nazgul come and try to kill them as they're sleeping. God is coming, and it was clear. We don't know what exactly he did, but it was clear to all of them that God was out to kill Moses. And then, like probably all you wives would, if you saw that the Lord was about to kill your husband, you'd cut off your son's foreskin and touch it to your husband's feet, right? Sure, I mean, that's the first thing you'd think of, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's a story that kind of shocks us with its weirdness, with its sense of God's an encourager, and yet, what's he doing here? Why would he try to kill Moses? As the commentator Robert Alter suggests, this God we see is dark and dangerous, a potential killer. And I think perhaps more than anything, what he wants us to see is that our God is not to be taken lightly. He's to be respected. He encourages us. He wants to walk with us. But we need to see him in all his greatness, in his holiness. He's passionate about his holiness. He's to be respected, not to be mocked. He's to be dealt with as as he truly is, not as we want him to be. It's like working with electricity. I've done some wiring, and you know what? You get shocked really good at one, one time. <laughs> it doesn't mean you run away from it and avoid it forever. It just means you respect it a whole lot more from there on. I think God is giving Moses a little shock here to say, Moses, as you go, you need to see me as holy as awesome, as great, not just as a buddy, because that is who I am as well. I'm not to be defined, but I need to be trusted and respected 
for who I really am. It's a shocking passage. Let me give you just some thoughts about it. A number of commentators, Jewish commentators and others have said, well, it's about circumcision. Obviously, God must be angry because either Moses wasn't circumcised or, or his son clearly wasn't. And that was the sign of the covenant given back in Genesis 17. So God must be angry about that. You know, that's possible, but back in Genesis 17, it doesn't say if someone isn't circumcised that they'll be killed. It says simply that they'll be put out of the community. They'll be excommunicated if they don't have the sign of circumcision. But the Jews, of course, emphasize that as their sign of the covenant. So they use that description. You know, I don't know the whole picture here, but I think there are some things I'd like just to remind you of. I think it tells us again that God is holy. He's not to be trifled with. While he loves and encourages us as a parent, we still have a problem with sin that separates us from God. We still have a problem with sin that separates us from God. And as we see in this story, only blood... Only blood, as she calls him, a bridegroom of blood. Only blood can deal with our sin. And you see this throughout the scriptures. As God is teaching Moses this now, soon there'll be the Passover where they'll sprinkle lamb's blood on the lintels of the doorpost and be spared from the angel of death who came and killed all the firstborn of Egypt but spared the Israelite firstborn. As Moses goes on and, and is given the law, and the law is all about sacrifice, that we're sinners and we need blood to be shed if we are to be forgiven and enter the presence of a holy God. And all of this points to the supreme sacrifice when God himself said, I will spill my own blood, the blood of my own son, so that you can be forgiven forever. You see, I think God wants Moses to remember and wants all of us to remember that we need his forgiveness every day. And I think Moses, to be an effective leader, needed to be covered by mercy and forgiveness so he could lead his people into mercy and forgiveness as well. You see, you can't lead people where you haven't gone. And God, as he prepares Moses to do that, helps him see his need to be covered by the blood as well. Do you see yourself as a sinner saved by grace? That every day you need his forgiveness? That we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? And every day I need the blood of the cross. I need what Jesus did for me. Otherwise I would deserve to die. I think Moses learned that lesson and that's a lesson that I think God wants all of us to cling to every day. Just a final note about this strange story. God uses Zipporah, his wife, a Midianite woman, to save his life. Interesting that Moses is to be the great leader who's going to lead Israel out of Egypt. And yet, this is the sixth woman in Moses' life that was used to save him. The midwives, his own mother, his sister, the princess of Egypt, and now Zipporah. You know, again, God doesn't fit in a box, does he? God wants to use any of us that have an open heart and if we'll just listen to him and respond to him and stay close to him, 
God will use that to help us minister to others. And God uses her to do that. Well, God's passionate about his own holiness, that we see him as he truly is, not how we want him to be. And he's also passionate to be faithful to his word so we can trust him. Verse 27 through 31. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the desert to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say and also about all the miraculous signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. God is passionate to be faithful to his word. Remember, we saw last week how God had promised, I'll send Aaron. God had promised, I will do miracles through you. God had promised the elders of Israel would listen, even though Moses was afraid they wouldn't. And all of that happened exactly as God had promised. Sometimes when God calls us to step out, we get afraid and wonder, God, are you really going to be faithful? God is passionate to be faithful to what he says. And if we know his word, we'll find many, many promises that God will give us that I will be with you, I will take care of you, I'll meet your needs, I love you, I'm for you. He's passionate about truth so we can depend on his word. Like when you step out in the middle of a rushing stream and it's scary, but you're on a big rock. God is like that rock. And everything around you may seem chaotic and crazy and it's rushing by, but when you're trusting in him and in what he says to be true, he's passionate to be true to what he says. He will never abandon you. Though your earthly father may have, he's a heavenly father who is passionate for you and will always be a God of integrity and truth. Moses steps out to follow God. And along the way, God encourages him by revealing himself to him in ways that were far beyond Moses had ever seen in God before. Why does he do that? Why does God reveal so much about himself to Moses? Because he needed to know God better in all his mystery, in all his holiness, in his encouraging love as a parent loves a child. If he was to be an effective follower of Jesus, an effective an effective leader for the people of Israel. It's the same for us, isn't it? God wants us to, by faith, step out, but as we do, he will reveal more and more of himself to us so that we can know him and trust him and follow him. It doesn't mean we'll be able to explain him more. (laughs) He won't fit into our box. In fact, he'll be far bigger than that. But I would rather serve and follow and trust in a God who's far bigger than my circumstances, far bigger than I am, far bigger than anything that can come my way, than a God who can be explained away in a little box. Here's the great mystery. God is infinite, and yet he wants a personal relationship with you and me. He wants to be known by you and me as he is. That's a great mystery, folks. So as we walk with God, as we learn to trust Him, 
and follow him. God will reveal himself to us. And notice what happens as he does so. Verse 31, I just read it. They believed, the elders believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. As you and I learn to walk with God and see him for who he is and all his greatness and his intimacy and his love and his passion for us, God will use that relationship to encourage others to see him as he is and will encourage others to bow down and worship. I don't know about you, but that's how I want God to use me, (laughs) to encourage others to trust him as well. How do we get there? By walking with him, by stepping out and seeing him for who he really is. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for this story that is a mystery. Because you're a mystery. And yet, there are many things we do know about you, Lord, that you're loving, that you're like a parent who is passionate to do whatever it takes to draw us to yourself. Even bring us through hardship at times so we might know you and love you and trust you. So, Lord, help us to know you in a way that causes us to not move away from you, but to depend on you more than we ever have. We thank you for who you really are. Give us eyes to see you as you are and not as we want you to be or as we try to make you to be. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I do love the end of that passage, how um, once the message is delivered to the people, they respond and worship. And um, I, I just want to take the next few minutes and, and uh, maybe just close your eyes or uh, just sit there quietly and maybe think of a way this week um, or just recently that God has revealed himself to you personally, to your life.